to Judges, the third chapter, and the 31st verse. If I had a theme or a thought or a title today, I do. It's called the butterfly effect. This morning, for just a few minutes, I want to talk about the butterfly effect. And as you find your place in Scripture, I want to remind you that last week we looked at the possibility of being a giant killer, addressing the giants on the inside, and then addressing the giants that come against us, that giants are in our life for promotion and favor and blessing. In Numbers 13 and 33, a terrible observation is made about oneself. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Enoch, which come to the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in our enemy's eyes. A lot of times the way we see ourselves, we assume the enemy sees us. And if you were with us last Sunday, we learned that Goliath had a physical challenge. His pituitary gland was all messed up. He was nearsighted. He wasn't able to see. And a lot of times I think we make our giants bigger than they really are. There was a statement earlier in life we used to say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then some would always add, yeah, on you. The bigger, they, the bigger, the harder they fall on you. But God has given us the ability to evade the fall of the enemy, the hurt and harm of the enemy. If we're where we're supposed to be, in the secret place, the most high, all those promises are attached to that. So just for a few minutes today, I'd like to talk about the uh, butterfly. I sort of say the grasshopper effect. I want to talk about the butterfly effect in Judges, the third chapter and the 31st verse. And after him, look at somebody and say, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat, and he also saved Israel. One line, one sentence, Shamgar, and he saved Israel. The name Shamgar means God on the move. And we learn that God is a God of action. God is a God of, of, of doing things. The word said he's responsible for the feeding of every sparrow. He helps the spider construct their web. The songs the bird sings, God orchestrates. God is always doing something. On the seventh day, he rested. On the eighth day, he went right on creating and doing what he has promised to do for his children. The butterfly effect, and probably, probably Chris, as some of you will know this, but in 1963, I was nine years old. That was the year that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. There was a meteorologist from MIT by the name of Edward Lorenz. And Edward Lorenz presented a hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. Lorenz's, Lorenz's hypothesis theorized that a minor event, like the flapping of a butterfly's wing in Brazil, could conceivably alter wind currents sufficiently to cause a tornado in Texas. Gra try to grasp that hypothesis. He presented to a series of scientists that there is the possibility that the butterfly wings flapping on the country of Brazil could affect a tornado in Texas. And the way he surmised this, he had created a, a piece of equipment that was to prophesy weather conditions. And day after day after day, he had been entering numbers into his computer to get the results that he was trying to determine. And one day, because he was in a hurry, instead of entering 0.506127, he, 
he rounded it off to 0.506. He assumed that the change of one thousandth of one percent would be inconsequential. He was wrong. He, when he returned to the lab, he found a radical difference between the original number and the rounded number was the equivalent of a puff. The rounded number was the equivalent of a puff of wind, but the net difference was the equivalent of a catastrophic weather event. Grasp that with me just for a moment. This piece of equipment, he was entering these numbers, and one day in a hurry, he rounded it off thinking it was not going to be consequential or, or important or significant, but he determined that it was. His conclusion, a minuscule change in input can make a macroscopic difference in output. A minuscule change in input can make a macroscopic difference in output. And that's what I want to talk about just for a few minutes this morning when you talk about something that seems to be so small and so insignificant that can make such a either a glorious or horrendous effect. When we look at this one line in the Bible in Judges 3 and 31 where it says, Shamgar struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goat. That's spelled G-O-A-D. The closest thing that I could find to an ox goat was something that somebody made for me a long time ago. Chris, I guess they were assuming that one day I would need a cane, so they custom designed me a cane. But I want this this morning to be my ox goat. An ox goat was just simply a piece of wood that was used to prod cattle to try to get them to water, try to get them to pasture, or try to get them where they needed to be. It really is not sharp. It does not appear to be dangerous. But this guy by the name of Shamgar took this ox goat and killed 600. And we're not talking about mamby-pamby wusses. We're talking about the Philistines who were warriors. They lived to fight. They lived to battle. That was their nature. They lived to do that. And he took this piece of wood and he defeated 600 Philistines. And the Bible says he too saved Israel. When it talks about Shamgar, you have to go back and realize that when you look at the word of God, almost every chapter, almost every scripture somewhere depicts some type of battle, some type of war, some type of struggle, some type of conflict. Job said, man that is born of woman is but a few days and full of trouble. Can anybody relate? That's why we call it labor when the baby is birthed. That's why you see football teams that will crash head on. That's why Alex pins people to the mat. There's something on the inside of us that we were born to be a confronter. We were born to be a world changer. We were born to be a lifesaver. It's in our destiny. It's in our DNA. We all have the desire if a little puppy is stranded at the mall with a tag. We all have a desire to go and call that number on that tag and find out where that puppy belongs to because we can't stand to think that somebody's puppy is out somewhere and they don't know where it's at. Can I get an amen in the building? Whether it's a pup or it's a cat, there's something, there's, there's a rescuable nature in the heart of man that if man really did the right thing, his desire would be to help and to promote others in areas of promotion and blessing so they too could learn from that promotion and then as God ordained for them to be promoted. When we look at Shambar, Sham, Shamgar, his dad was a, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was a tool of war. He was a tool of, of violence. Let me tell you about his dad. There was a king by the name of Eglon. What a name. 
and he was a wicked king, and he was a punk, and he was, he was over the people of Israel. They were, again, they disobeyed, found themselves in, in being captured and being con, con, confined to an area, and this king was evil. So Shemgar's dad, Ehud, what a name, makes a decision, goes and builds a weapon. The Bible says that he took a knife, he put two edges on it, about six inches long, a cubit, and he hid it over his right thigh. He was left-handed. He made an appointment with the king and said, we have gifts from Israel. And as they brought the gifts into the palace, the king accepted the, the gifts. And then as, as Ehud was on a mission, obviously he took a weapon. There was a reason why he was there. He told the king that he had a personal message from God. And the king immediately eliminated everybody in the stateroom, everybody in the throne room. He sent everybody out. And so Ehud went to approach the king to share with him the message from God, took the weapon, and buried it in the belly of Eglon and killed the king. This one effort, this one guy, one knife killing one person motivated the people of Israel to such a degree that Ehud went to a mountain, sounded a trumpet, rallied all the armies of Israel and told them, today God's going to fight for you. And that army took on 10,000 Philistines, Moabites, killed them, killed every single one of them. The Bible says not one lived. And for the next 80 years, they lived in peace and harmony. One person, one weapon, one ox goat. Just something small, insignificant, didn't really seem to make that much of a difference but in the hands of God, one plus God equals a majority. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And we ponder all the dreams and all the visions and all the things in our life that we haven't yet seen come to pass. We haven't yet seen fulfilled. But there's a desire there, it seems, to do the right thing and to do what God wants us to do. And I'm going to point out some things in the Word of God this morning, how just, just, just little, like 20 seconds of insane courage. Just a decision, just, just an action, just one person, how one person can make a difference in the lives of so many. And when I think about this, this one person that can make a difference, in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, I told you, if you go there real quick, that in the 16th chapter, David was anointed king. In the 17th chapter, David took on Goliath. There's a very good possibility that when you feel the presence and the power of God in your life, it's probably to prepare you for a battle. It's probably to prepare you for a war. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God gives us the ability to have that power over our mind. God gives us the ability, and most of us don't use it, to have the power over our mouth. Come on now. Just a word or two spoken incorrectly can do so much damage, but a word or two spoken correctly, what a blessing it can make. As we started our ministry almost 35 years ago, by the way, next Sunday, Harvest will be 24 years of age, 24 years of age next Sunday, and, and we're excited about, I don't know that it makes 20, there's anything significant about 24 but it's just the fact that we survived. We are not dead. We're still alive. We're still doing what God called us to do. We gave clothes away this week. We gave food away this week. We helped some people financially this week. So we're still doing what God called us to do 24 years ago. But as we see the anointing in 16, we see the battle in 17. 
in chapter 18, something very interesting takes place, which is called a covenant. Notice, if you will, in chapter 18, verse 3, then Jonathan, let me, go, let me start at verse 1. This is after Goliath has been dead. David has Goliath's head in his hand. Everybody's asking who David is. They find out that he's a son of Jesse. From that moment, Saul takes David into his house, does not let him go back home, but stays there as a musician, as one of the warriors. Notice, if you will, that David spent the first part of his life in the woods, in the fields, sleeping under the sun, under the moon, and and spends the next part of his life living in a palace, eating food that's prepared for a king. Wouldn't you like to kill a Goliath and be promoted in that particular area of life? It came to pass, when he made an end of speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And David loved him as his own soul. There was a best friend, there was a camaraderie, there was a connection. Look at somebody and say, there's a connection. Where two or three connect, something begins to happen. When you begin to connect with your husband, when you begin to connect with your kids, when you begin to connect with your employer, when you begin to connect with your, with your peers, something happens when there is a connection. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I want to talk just for a minute at covenant. Notice the next verse real quick. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, a king's son's robe, and gave it to David and his garments, even his sword and to his bow and to his girdle, or, his, or, his, or what held his weapons attached to his waist. Something happens when David and, and Jonathan commit, there is a covenant made. Let me tell you some things about covenant. When we began our ministry 34 years ago, God gave me a one-liner that I try to live by, and it simply says, all I have belongs to God. All God has belongs to me. When I went into covenant with God, things begin to change. God allowed me to discard the spirit of heaviness, and he allowed me to put on the garment of praise. God took away my mourning and my sorrow and gave me the oil of gladness. All of God's weapons have now become my weapons. All of God's friends now have become my friends. All of my friends have become God's friends. All of God's enemies have become my enemies. All of my enemies have become God's enemies. All of God's assets are now my assets. All of my assets are now God's assets. All the blessing that God walks in is now my blessing. And when I am blessed, God is blessed. All the favor that God operates in is now my favor. And the favor that God blesses me, I bring him glory and give him favor. The word says that iron sharpens iron, that deep calleth the deep, that something happens when a covenant is made. You need to be very careful who you go into covenant with. Most of us are aware of the covenant of the Indian. When the Indian went into covenant with another warrior, another tribe, they would take a weapon and they would cut their their palm or their wrist. Their friend would cut their palm or their wrist and the two of them would mix their blood and the shedding of blood provided that covenant, provided that, 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 that agreement, that promise. When Pastor Ron and I got married and the two became one, We went into covenant together. All of her assets became my assets. All of my assets became her assets. 
All of her enemies became my enemies. All of her friends became my friends. All of my talents and abilities became her talents and abilities. In all of my weakness, I attain her strength. In her few weaknesses, she attains my strength. It's all about a covenant that God wants us to walk in. But this covenant is always birthed by blood. The type and shadow, the first type and shadow of blood mentioned in the Bible is when Abel offered to God a sacrifice that God approved of. There was a reason why God approved of it because in Genesis 3, God told man, the serpent's going to strike your heel. You're going to crush his head. That was the promise of Calvary, that one day that Satan would put the enemy under his feet, crush his head, and we would walk in that ability and favor. So that proto-evangelico, the first mention of a promise, the first mention of a covenant, the first mention of a Savior is found in Genesis 3 and 15. And we see in that covenant and we see in that vow, we see that blood is shed. Abel, his sacrifice was a blood sacrifice, probably a lamb in honor to God. Cain's sacrifice was probably nice. It was probably good stuff. But it wasn't what God had laid out, God had ordained. God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. We're not sure how the acceptance was received. We don't know if the, if the lamb that was offered caught on fire by God. We're not sure exactly what, what happened. They, Cain knew that his sacrifice was not acceptable, but he went away mad. And you know the story. He found his brother, and he killed his brother. And then a passage of Scripture that you rarely hear anything about or find any kind of response to. But the Bible says, look at someone said, the Bible says that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground and got the attention of God. Leviticus 4 and 15, I believe we studied that last week, that all life is in the blood. If there's something wrong with you, a test of your blood can determine what is wrong with you. If you're pregnant, a test of your blood can determine not only if you're pregnant, but a blood test can determine who the father is. There's something about the blood. There has to be bloodshed before there to be a covenant. And because Abel was willing to do the right thing, because in that one moment of time, in that, in that fraction of time, Abel brought God a sacrifice and sacrificed it. God accepted that sacrifice. When I think about Enoch, just one walk with God, God would say, Enoch, you're too far from your home. Come on to my home. How cool is that? When I think about Abraham, Abraham was willing to offer his son. Just that one moment of, 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 of the, the, the obedience to sacrifice his son produced a seed for Abraham, the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. When I think about Jacob, just one night wrestling, just one touch from God, his name has changed, his destiny has changed. When I think about Joseph, one moment of integrity, he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife, and that cast him into a prison, and that cast him into a dungeon. But in that prison and in that dungeon, God brought victory, and God saved the world by the power of Joseph's interpretation of dreams. When I think about Joshua, just the choice of integrity. Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It just took a moment to make that decision, but that was the life that Joshua lived, and he's simply speaking his testimony and his belief and his trust in God. Just one prayer of Daniel threw him in the lion's den, but one prayer of Daniel delivered him from the lion's den. Just one statement to, to Belshazzar, you, you may throw us in the fiery furnace, Shadrach said, but if you throw us in the fiery furnace, our God will still deliver us. Just one statement. I think about Samson, just one prayer of repentance. Just one, Lord, let me feel your power one more time. 
brought down the pillars of the, of the temple and thousands that day were destroyed. When I think about David, just, just that attitude to go towards the giant, is there not a cause? Made a decision to take his weapons of warfare to battle and we know the outcome of that. When I think of Jonathan, if you will go with me two pages back to 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Jonathan is the one that went into covenant with David. But I want to share, if I may, just the first seven verses of, John, of 1 Samuel 14. Now, it came to pass upon a day, and maybe this is your day, church. Think about this for a minute. It was a Monday, a day like any other day. A little foreigner there for you. Don't throw money. I'm not going into the recording studio yet. And it came to pass upon a day, well, that's a sermon right there, that Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young men that bear his armor, come, let's go over the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. And Saul tarried, go to verse 3. No, let's go to verse 4. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side, a sharp rock on the other. The name of one was Boaz, the name of the other, Sine. The forefront of the one was against the north, and the other one was against the south. And Jonathan said to the young men that bear his armor, Come, let us go over into the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint by the Lord to say by many or by few. Jonathan obviously had the heart of a warrior. Jonathan obviously had the confidence, his confidence and his trust was in God. But notice what happens when your trust and confidence is in God and you're a warrior doing what God called you to do. Notice the attitude of those that will hang around you and be blessed by your stand and, and, and your presence, your, your relationship with God. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thy heart, <coughs> turn thee, behold, I'm with thee, according to thy heart. This armor bearer made a commitment to Jonathan. He said, Jonathan, whatever you feel like God is saying, whatever you feel like God is doing, whatever is in your heart, I'm there with you. And I think the only, the only place I can find that parallels in life is probably in the life of a husband or a wife or probably in the life of a dad, daughter, or son, is that whatever is in your heart, your spouse, your children, have the same desire, the same focus, and the same purpose. That's, that's what walking in unity together is. And that's what happens when you raise kids up in the sight of God. Yesterday, we had a dad-daughter night, so we did obviously Taco Bell, because I don't cook. And uh, we went to Redbox, and we got a movie, and we, we rented a movie that the, the reference on the movie showed at PG-13, Christine's 13. We figured we could watch it together. And as we were, as we were watching it together, Christine came to the decision, and I was kind of nodding in and off. I'd, I'd had a long day yesterday. That's a whole other story, but I was kind of nodding in and off. But I noticed Courtney taking the remote, or Christine taking the remote, and fast-forwarding it. And later, she just turned the movie off because there was stuff in the movie that she didn't want to see, stuff in the movie she didn't want in her, in her brain, in her heart, in her mind. And that came from the relationship of her dad and mom 
who has set a light, set a preference, set, set, a, set a place for them to walk, and that's the way they were walking. And praise God for godly kids, and praise God for godly parents. I have learned the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Lousy parents usually produce lousy kids. Hello. And lousy kids usually produce lousy parents. It's like a it's like a snowball effect. It happens. But thank God for godly parents that will raise their kids up. I'm not patting myself on the back, but if I didn't have a crick in my neck, I would. Thank, thank God. I love that song, Butterfly Kisses. Of all the things I've done wrong, I must have done something right. And that's a good feeling. That's a good, that right there is reward that really you can't purchase or pay for. So I think of Jonathan. When I think of Isaiah, one glimpse, saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when the question was made, who will go? Isaiah, because of that one glimpse into the, into the heavenly, said, I will go. I think about Gideon, one fleece. He said, if this fleece turns a certain color, I'll go to battle. And the Bible says that Gideon clothed himself with God. Just, 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 just one decision. I, I look at Jephthah, one choice. They came to Jephthah because he was rowdy. He was tough. He was a warrior. They couldn't defeat the enemy. They had nothing to do with Jephthah, but they needed Jephthah to go to battle. And Jephthah said, it's funny. You wanted nothing to do with me when you're in peace, and now you're in turmoil. You want my life. You want my men. You want my weapons. You want my warfare. And that's exactly how it plays out. People will discard you, dis dis abandon you, dis disrespect you until they come to the place in life where they need someone that knows how to pray, someone knows how to stand in the gap, someone knows it, that knows how to make a difference. I think about Nehemiah. He built one wall at a time. I think about Job, one mindset. Though he slay me, yet I'm still going to serve him. I think about Zechariah, one belief. God spoke to him in the temple and said, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah operated. He had to operate on that. He had to go home and, and make special love to Elizabeth. And she had to get, hello. So there was something about that one moment, that one encounter. When I think of Mary, one yes. Mary said, be it according to thy word. When I think about Peter, I think about one boat. He had the 20 seconds of insane courage to step out of the boat. I think about Paul, one encounter on the road to Damascus changed him from persecutor to preacher, from Saul to Paul. When I think about, and I didn't want to leave the women out, so when I think about Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene the ex-prostitute, the daughter of God, one alabaster box we took that moment and broke that alabaster box. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about that moment. When I think about Esther, that one opportunity to go before the king to intercede on behalf of the people of Israel. When I think about Abigail, who had a husband that was an idiot that offended the king. But Abigail went met David with gifts and with food and with presents. And just that, that gift, that present, made David not, not only kill her husband... But then later in life, when her husband said something stupid and got murdered, David went and took her for his wife, and that was the wife that he treasured. When I think about Ruth, Ruth did one gleaning. She was in the corner raking the wheat, and there Boaz saw her. Just, just, just a decision to go out and, and make a living for herself. When I think about Rahab, one cord obeyed the Lord and put one cord, down, one cord down the window, and God spared that part of the wall because she was faithful in that moment, in that effort. And when I think about everything, I think about Jesus, one cross. He said, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour came I into the world. When I think about that, that one cross, he literally, and somebody help me, he literally changed the world. One butterfly effect. 
Shamgar had no army, no alliance, no artillery, no karate, no 357 Magnum, a stick. All he had was a stick. Let me tell you something. As they laughed at David with the sling, they probably laughed at Shamgar until they saw the look in his eyes. And that attitude was, you're going down. Jonathan told his armor bearer, let's go. They went. When they got there, Jonathan said, let's give the Lord a sign. Here's a sign. If they say, come up, we'll go up. The battle is ours. If you know anything about elevation or you know anything about, about preparation, it's a lot easier to fight from the top down than it is from the, from the bottom up. And the Bible says on their hands and on their knees, they climbed this face. They, actually, when the, when the Philistines saw them, they said, come up here, We're, we'll deal with you. So, so Jonathan said, let's go. On their hands and knees, they, they crawled up that place and there they defeated the enemy. They killed every enemy enemy that was in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that area of, and I thought that was interesting, half an acre where two, two oxen could have plowed. And I think about Gideon's two acres. I think about how God looks at the little things and to the little things he makes them big things so that we can take the big things that are coming against us and make us little things. Does that help anybody in this morning? In conclusion, and this will be my only conclusion, are you ready? One sentence, one statement, one decision, one change, one risk, one idea. That's all it takes. One motion can radically change or alter your spiritual life, your emotional life, your relational life, and your financial life. One decision can change the atmosphere of your home, your marriage, your ministry. And in closing, may I say this? You don't have to make a hundred changes. A hundred changes is 100% of one which will wear you out, toil you, burn you down, and you'll be so overwhelmed with all the changes that you said that you would make you will probably not be successful. One change, one motion, one attitude, one song, one prayer, one decision. One right decision can make a decision in your life forever. Shall we pray? Thank you for your word. Thank you for in samples that we can read their life and know that they lived in times of duress, in times of stress, in times of struggle, in times of warfare. But God, you have never looked for those that had a lot of ability, but you've always looked for those that have made themselves available, that you qualify the unqualified. That is your choice, your decision. This is the way you chose to set this up, and this is the way that we walk in it. If there are things in our life that just a small alteration can, can, can have some serious effect in the kingdom, maybe just adding a few minutes a day, praying and sharing a scripture. Maybe it's creating a, an altar alone where we can worship you every day. If it's just maybe just sowing a seed in an area 
that desperately needs a financial breakthrough. Whatever area it is that, that we can change in, you bring it to us as we are seeking you in praise and prayer and worship. And let us have the guts. Let us have the courage. Let us have that, 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 that attitude to know that the flapping of a butterfly wing can cause a tornado in Texas. Then one prayer answered by you could change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to practice on you this morning. I pray that this message was a blessing. I pray that it encouraged you, and I pray that you will leave this place realizing that just one, one forward motion, just one, one positive thing that you can do. In the story of Jonathan, obviously, the...